Welcome to the Living with Heart podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Good morning, Dr. Chip Dodd. Hello, Brian. How are you? Great, and great to see you. Great yeah. to be together. Yeah. You know, when we start this thing, the first thing we do before we sit down and do the task, I just need to just like check in a little bit with right. you, you with me. Like, are you good? I'm good. I'm like, right. Are we good? Because if I don't have that safety, really, mm. and I don't mean like insecure safety, but making sure you're ready, I'm ready, and we're together. Yeah. That's that to me seals it and mm. I'm ready to roll. Yeah. So I'm glad we're here. I'm glad to be here too. This is the <laughs> pretty much the one week anniversary of us going live. Did you know that? Like it, we started it, we started yes. publishing the podcast a week ago. And we will be if unless something catastrophic happens by the end of today, we will be at over a thousand downloads. That is great. That's good. Isn't it? Really? I don't is know. It, I have no idea if it's good or not, but I'm happy with it. <laughs> it's I it's mean, just thousand seems so much better than seven twenty one. Right, whatever, exactly. Right? We were marker. At the, at the, yeah. I looked right before we started recording. We were at nine hundred and eighty. So okay. uh, in That's the past great. week. That's great. I want, we, we it's not so much that we're looking at the numbers, but we're looking at the reach. Right. And uh and, and I promise anyone who's listening, uh, I love numbers, of course, in terms of sure. like because but it means spreading. But one, one person gets it. Right. That means that possibly another hundred get it. Yeah, it is message. interesting what it is interesting what numbers, uh, the way they've been distorted in the social media age. Because mm -hmm. you almost like if somebody doesn't have, you know, fifty thousand followers, you're mm -hmm. like, what are you even doing? But yeah. I mean, you take a thousand people and you put them in a room, yeah, and you're like, that's a lot of people. Not yeah. just not just in terms of who's in the room, but also mm -hmm. the spheres of influence they've been entrusted mm -hmm. with is, you know, exponential. Mm -hmm as far as impact and growth also. Yeah. I wanted to tell you that uh, I, I was looking at where people have listened. Yeah. And we have had, you know, much, probably not to your surprise, the vast majority of our listeners have been in the United States. The number one uh, state listening is Tennessee. The number two is Colorado. Oh, uh, I love that. Shout it out. happens I, to be your old home. My old home. Actually, it was funny. Head. Yesterday, I heard from four different random people in Colorado who just texted me. And actually, one guy... Uh, called and left me a voicemail, which is sort of a for you know an ancient uh, art yeah. to say, hey, for you. yeah, for me, for me, yeah, you leave voicemails. I don't leave as many voicemails. <laughs> My son says, Dad, don't leave voicemail. I don't listen to them. Right. <laughs> oh you ever heard the rule of like of calling people today? No. Basically, you know, uh, it it's only permissible to call if somebody is on the brink of death oh, and anything else goodness. is a text. So that's why if he ever picks up the phone, are you okay? Yeah, like, exactly. Well, that's yeah, what's I'm happening. Okay. I just yeah. Want to say hey. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh, uh, Colorado is, or Tennessee is number one. Colorado is number two, but we have had five downloads in Japan, five downloads in Latvia, three downloads in Denmark, two downloads in Brazil and one download in Jamaica. So, Shout out to our Latvian audience, that whoever is, that is. Well, I, I tell you, when when Sonia and I, uh, she was the huge impetus for this. We did the the Jesse Tree in Advent, right? And uh, it was out for like a week, and then two weeks, and it was only a, there was only a two week window to get it out, and it was in fifty countries, and so Latvia was one of the Denmark, Latvia. Romania, wow, wow. Northern Europe, and then it went east and south, uh, wow. Middle East, Africa. Yeah, so thanks so much for listening. Uh, okay, we're in the second part of our conversation about the need to belong and matter. Yeah. So to 
kind of set the framework of our conversation. We've been talking about how we're made, how we're born, the way that God makes us is not a mistake. Now we're talking about being born as being needy. Uh, and our last episode, we talked about the need, the foundational need to belong and matter. Yep. And here's the way we ended that episode to give context of where we're going. And I actually have no idea where we're going other than this topic, which I kind of <laughs> like it that way. People, people might think that we spend like an hour talking about uh -huh. what we're going to, it's like, we, we talk for five minutes on the front end, which is mostly checking in in terms yeah. of how our families are doing and making sure we're good with each yeah. other. Yeah. And, and so this is, this is jazz, uh, yes. as we've, as good we've thing said. though is as musicians, you know, I've had music in my head and heart for years and I've been playing a long time. So we're ready. Right. I mean, yeah, we're prepared. Yeah. I mean, it was funny yesterday. I'll just say this and then we'll, we'll dive in, but I was asked fairly last minute to do a seven hour training on emotions with my good friend Cliff Roth, who I met because of you hey, uh, through a champion's path mm -hmm. uh, cohort. Mm -hmm. And on the front end, I was just like pretty scared of doing something like that last mm -hmm. minute. And, uh, would there be sufficient content? And of course we went long. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, there's so much, right. There's so much to this. Right. Okay. So we're talking about, the need to belong and matter. We'll call yep. this part two. We'll see if we need to do a part three or not. Um, but here's what you said at the end of this, okay, to set you up and tee you up, and then we'll just go. You said, uh, the need to belong and matter, you're powerless over it. The only choice is whether you'll have that need met in legitimate or illegitimate ways. Mm -hmm. You also said this, and I thought this would be an interesting place to start. If you're raised in a world that confirms and affirms your neediness as acceptable, then the likelihood that you have your need to belong and matter in a legitimate manner is far more likely. Much probable. higher probability. Yeah, higher that, probability. That we'll just call it stay on your journey in an authentic way. Yeah. We'll just call it that for today. So, what? I mean, by the way, that means that you will be able to use your thinking processes to say what's happening in your heart and it's authentic. You'll be able to attach to others who can do the same, mm -hmm. or you can reach towards others who can't and offer it to them, service, and then you're also connected to God. That's that you're authentically on the journey, mm. and the probability goes up if your needs are met by you being yourself. That connection creates the fullness, which actually creates the gratitude. You can trust that which is outside of you in some people and God, mm. and gratitude comes from the outside. So you have security, you have confidence, you have a sense of comp competence, mm. and you have courage. Your heart could stay in mm. life, you know? What, um, I mean, per this quote you just gave from, well, from the last episode, I gave it from the last episode, but it's you. You said, if you were raised in a world that confirms and affirms your mm -hmm. neediness is acceptable. Let's start with the inverse, because that's probably easier, I would think, maybe. Well, we'll start the either way. It's like the opposite? Yeah, like okay. what? what is it? look like to be raised in an environment where neediness is intolerable or unacceptable. That's great. So the two of the many needs that we have, and they're really, it's limited. They're, they're really no more than 20. And in, in the book, the, the needs of the heart was, I think I've got 16. And remember, these are just primary, just like the voice of the heart, just primary colors of how we're made. The two primary needs of all the needs, the need to belong and the need to matter. The need to belong is being accepted for how I am created. And the need to matter is to be appreciated for what I bring specifically and uniquely to how I'm created, right? Some people have a proclivity towards music. 
some people towards coordination, some people towards an interest, some people towards like can see structures and see how they go together quickly, easily. Some people sit, are able to sit and wonder and ponder and they're already in the stars and they're painting with invisible ink, sort of dreams and then living them out. So, I mean, everybody brings, believe it or not, everybody brings a 0.01% uniqueness to life. That Psalm 139 talks about how I've knitted together in my mother's womb, knitted together in the secret places, and I'm made very specifically and uniquely a, a, a treasure to the one who knitted me together. And so that 0.01% is our presentation of what we're able and made and geared towards. Okay. So neediness naturally reaches out and it's reaching out to be connected towards someone reaching back. Okay. And like, you know, if you're in a cave in and you're, you're peeling the rocks from the inside of the cave in moving what you can, and you're, you're reaching out towards the oxygen, the rescue, the connection, and you are powerless really over this hunger to live, the hunger to get out, the hunger to, to, to find what you're made to have again, to get back into connection in place. And you also have the threat that if you don't get out, the darkness will overcome you mm -hmm. and the oxygen will deprive you of breathing. And if, even if your will is against your being alive, the cells of your life are about being alive, mm -hmm. whether you like it or not. If you go out to drown yourself in a lake and you've willed yourself towards it, your lungs are going to protest when you suck the water into your lungs. Mm -hmm. Your lungs are going to go, not today, no, this yeah. is this wrong idea. So the need to belong, we reach out. The need to matter, we're bringing who we are, how we're knitted together. We're looking for two things, affirmation and confirmation. Simple. I mean, it's so simple, it's scary. Hmm. It's kindergarten. Yeah which we are told we need to graduate from quickly yeah. in many metaphorical ways and yeah. literally. And so when we reach out for affirmation, affirmation is saying yes. And confirmation is doubling, doubling it. Yeah, yes, yes. In other mm -hmm. words, tomorrow you'll get the same. Right. And it doesn't mean you never say no because those are the guardrails that keep us on the journey of being authentic. No is a guardrail. Mm -hmm. But yes is this is the way walking it. Ancient paths, which will touch on and so we can't help but bring that to life and when we're affirmed for how we're made we become congruent in other words we don't have to run from or suppress or push away how we're made now we're so created for relationship and this is the stepping into the real question you just asked we're so created for relationship we have to have it one way or another Either we're going to have it as we're created or we're going to have to take over and try to become someone we're not so that we can receive the smile, the approval, the affirmation, the confirmation, the connection, which gives us the, all the other needs get met through that. But it starts with belonging and mattering. They're so powerful, like it's cellular. It doesn't matter what you do to try to stop it. Everything in you is geared towards it. Hmm. It's almost like stopping your own heartbeat. Yeah. That's just like not, not possible. Not a coordinated effort to, to do. Yeah. So when your need to belong in matters not met as you're created, you find another way to do it. And I was thinking when we were talking about uh, doing this, I remembered last night 
that when I was in Dallas, um, I, pr I had a, a practice in Dallas from, uh, it was 89 to 95 when I moved, moved here. I was a clinical director for a counseling center we started out there uh, with Kathy Gola. Um, and uh, a couple of people would come in from uh, Bill Glass Ministry, a prison ministry, and this guy found Jesus in, in prison. And so I'm working with him and working with his, his wife and so on. And he, he was actually a, a true safe cracker. I mean, he had the gift of being able to hear sounds, no clicks, and know how to sort of see through walls. Oh, you said like safe, like somebody like who little, cracks a like safe. Like bank robber. I, I see. mean, the old yeah, days, I bank see robbery. You, I see what you're saying. And he, would, he could open the vaults. I see. So they took him everywhere. Now, he was raised in an orphanage. He told stories about being out in the potato fields and being beaten up by other uh, orphans. Uh, talked about the horror of the darkness, aloneness, that the people who were overseeing them were, uh, let's just say, disciplinarians. End of story. It's almost like um, uh, it was um, not a safe place. Your needs would be met if you survived. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about thriving, but it was about surviving. And that's what happens. The need to belong and the need to matter is either is going to, through affirmation and confirmation, open me up to thriving or push me towards surviving. Mm -hmm. But either way, I'm going. I've got to. I've got to. And so he uh, got in with this certain crowd. They affirmed him, confirmed him. This is the way gangs work. Like they, they give you what you're missing. Mm. They address your loneliness. They address your fear. They give you a place to belong and they give you a place to matter. Right, substitute for Absolutely. family. Absolutely. Right. So what he was looking for when, when, when stealing other people's money, he's looking for the experience of mattering. Man, they loved his gifts. Oh, you meant like he's a literal safe cracker. Yes. Oh, that's funny. I thought you were almost, <laughs> I don't know if this is my own. Uh, ignorance. I thought you were almost speaking metaphorically of a guy who like understood. They robbed how, banks and went like, to prison. Okay, they, so this, this you're, you're talking in real life. These are he he was yeah. the guy who cracked the safe yeah. when they robbed yeah. a bank. Yeah. Okay. Also worked with a guy who was one of the uh, like was like you know the what was it the cat cat burglar the thief cat he was a uh, he was. Broke, broke into places like the Mission Impossible stuff, and he oh, right. he would steal jewels. Oh, okay, wow. from like museums. Huh. I mean, these were extraordinarily talented people, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're they're criminals, right? But they were using illegitimate means to get legitimate needs met. Mm. Does it make it right? It does make it wrong, but at the same time, I'm asking us to hear not just understand, but to face that we are powerless over how we're created. Either we face it and deal with it authentically, or we will go over the guardrails off track, ultimately to our own self-destruction while we are getting our needs met in a counterfeit way. This guy got his needs met. He was prestigious. He was sought after. He was significant. He was known. He was connected. People, people came to get him. Uh, he was paid handsomely. He mm. had security, had a place, had a, a people he could trust. Yeah, like relational intimacy of doing uh, something that dangerous uh -huh. together, a sense of uh -huh. mission, a sense of cause. Yeah. And so uh, he was getting his needs met in illegitimate ways. An affair, tragically, is an illegitimate way 
to get legitimate needs met. I'm talking about relational affairs, right. sexual affairs. Right. Affairs have many, many names. They're not always sexual. You can have an affair with money right. and betray your family over money or power right. or the fear of, of not being connected. Yeah. May, may one more story, may I? Yeah. I was working with, and this is true for everybody, from people who, are, who have mental acumen of a newt, okay, mm-hmm. all the way to... Uh, the physics geniuses. I was working with a vice president of a multinational corporation and their corporation. Um, basically they had the GDP of, uh, uh, GDP is a gross domestic product. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is, it, I, is that the right one? Yeah. yeah. I think I'll, so. I I, I'm trying with myself. So like, yeah. That's right. You don't understand. Yeah. Money. <laughs> Just say it fast and confidently, and people will <laughs> yeah, believe. Yeah, exactly. right. I know. Well, he didn't mean to say that, yeah. right? But they he had, they had the GDP of uh, about you know seventy different nations in yeah. the world, and um, he had uh, a form of cancer that would needed to be operable, and uh, but he made sure that he was not going to be operated on at a time when the president of the company could find out, hmm. and I said you have enough money that you and Elon Musk, when he gets prepared, y'all can fly to Mars together, right? Save yourself from a world destroying itself. He goes, yeah. So you're going to go be absent from your position. At the same time, the president was being operated on for something. Hmm. So the two top people in this corporation were going to be absent and he was going to be absent from his duties I said, what is going on with you? He said, if the president finds out that I'm not able, he will think, they will think, because he was older, they will think I'm not fit for the job and they'll start getting rid of me. Mm. Like corporate terror that he knew he was being used. He knew he was a thing. He had all the money in the world, quote unquote. And yet what was ruling him was the fear of not belonging and not mattering. The man did not know who he was outside of his performance Mm. and applause related to it Mm. and rewards connected to the applause. Which probably speaks also to, have you ever studied like the data about what happens to, you know, C-suite executives and pro athletes, pro athletes and doctors. I mean, these people who are in, you know, identity professions, maybe, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's the way you get introduced at a party. Right. Um, you know, there's some professions, you know, if you work somewhere, yeah. you're not introduced as like, Hey, this is Brian who works at target. Uh, no shame at somebody who's working at target. No, but not if you're all. a doctor, lawyer, no. pastor, athlete, yeah. um, police officer, it's synonymous with your identity. Yes. It's the way you're introduced. It's the way you identify. A lot of times they have very strong, uh, corporate identity too. to leave the group as a sort yes. of feel like leaving a cult. Uh, sometimes and what keeps you in is a, is a kind of a cultic uh, mantra a lot of times and the rate of you know depression and suicide on Anxiety, the other side self-destruction relational breakdown right are you killing it and you know uh, what's amazing is you just said that uh, cult and and see cults function literally own the need to belong and the need to matter. They mm. take advantage of it. Right. And they're looking for people who have not received it in genuine ways. Right. And they're promising to give it to them now. Yeah. And it has a big if. Mm. 
And the moment you are no longer, when the moment you claim God's identity as you were shaped and formed and separate it from their need to have power and control, you are officially thrown away. Right. Which means don't belong in matter anymore. That's yeah. death. Mm. That's, that's, that's isolation, death. Mm. And it's terrifying. Oh yeah. I remember, um, well, I mean, we can go on and on, but I remember a pro athlete, uh, I heard an interview. He said he had been out of the league. It was a pro football. He'd been out of the league like for like four or five years. And in and, and being interviewed, he said, there's nothing like, he said, there's nothing like, and you could hear the euphoric recall, nothing like running to a stadium with 80,000 people screaming your name right. or screaming for you or screaming right. about you. And he said, I've never been able to get that back. Mm. And that's applause addiction. Mm. And the applause addiction is feeding the craving mm. to matter, mm. belong. Mm. And when you no longer have an audience, you've got a mirror and you look in the mirror and you go, I don't know who that is. And do you think this is some of the mechanics of, on the whole, people who accomplish really significant things come from really messed up yeah, backgrounds? You, we, you, you, like you and I do a lot of work with leaders and, right. and all other people. It's not right. just one, one group, of course. Because everybody, believe it or not, everybody's created to, to lead. Mm -hmm. Everybody's created to be able to bring what matters and give it to a world in need yeah. of mattering. But the leaders, leaders are notorious for having come from the helping professions, especially physicians, pastors, you know, the servants of society, right. theologians, um, academic people, uh, uh, people from medicine and, and jurisprudence. Yeah, less with jurisprudence, tragically, but but those are the four great helping professions. And if you start doing the interviews, you will find that almost all of them came from families in which they were put in positions to belong and matter when they performed at a high level that brought acclaim to the family and or hid the secrets of the family. And I feel like also a lot of times what I see both in working with people like this and uh, learning about other people is usually there is the absence of a parental, a stable parental figure which necessitates them you know, not just uh, performing, but performing 20 years older than what they really are yep. before they're ready for it as well. Yes. The, the, and, and, and amazingly, we'll, we'll get back to this too, Brian, but, but those families that are, are dysfunctioning, that they're, they're not functioning up to the level of authenticity, which is really more about admission of powerlessness and need, which mm -hmm. is like up to is actually what we think of down. Yeah. But the one thing, the one category that's always central and it's like doesn't fail is that the family members, the leaders of the family, the actual parents are not dealing with their feelings, the mm. eight core feelings. Mm. They don't face them. They don't feel them. They don't tell the truth about them and they don't take them where they're made to take them. Yeah. It's the one thing. So what are the, I mean, so you, there, I mean, there are many, there are many names, orphanages, right? And there are a lot of dysfunctional families are, believe it or not, um, kind of cultic. Mm -hmm. You belong in matter. If they're we -ism, you only belong in matter because, and then also you just don't, I mean, 
orphanages. Right. So you're saying the mechanics of this is, okay, so we're talking about uh, somebody striving to, or a child being told that their neediness is intolerable. You know, I'm understanding this or kind of picturing the mechanics of this being, you know, a lot of times something tragic or difficult happens in the life of the family. Um, it leads to maybe the remaining parent or maybe it's both parents totally checking out, you know, a lot of times they revert into some expression of addiction, leaving the child to sort of navigate childhood in isolation is, am I, am I, am I, no, that's, that's, that's a direction. That's, that's one of the expressions. It it certainly is because the, the the child comes into life. Can we give a pra- like? Yeah, let's there, make it like a super a guy, practical right, example. There's a guy. Okay. I, I, I just uh, I'm sort of um, you know you 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 and I find people that we just like recognize and yeah, like, yeah you start to see it and want to say hey man I could give you something yeah there's a guy I've been talking to and he grew up in you know the classic good family both parents worked. Both parents stayed married. And his father, though, uh, developed uh, a form of uh, uh, mental incapacity at way too young of an age. And the mother compensated. What does that mean, mental incapacity? Dementia. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just he, I think it was dementia. And it started in uh, like uh, when this young man, this guy was like 12. Wow. Up until 12. He, it's romanticized in terms of my dad and I did everything together. And, and it's, I know it's true, coach baseball and so on. But at 12, things changed. His mother reached down into the family and a kid who was just happy-go-lucky, not responsible, you know, just kind of being a child. He was, yeah, learning, he was 12 years acting old, appropriately for his age. Normal developmental processes. Yeah. In other words, they don't think about taking out the garbage because they don't even know what that even means. Right. Like, I just see people do it. Yeah. So whatever. And why would he have to do it? You know? yeah. And so nobody's raising him. Mother's over needing him. What is he, it? Okay. So what he, is the mechanics he, he of her he over needing him? He can't bring his tears to his mother because he sees her already overwhelmed with everything she has to do. Yeah. So he's gone to this place of saying, mom is overwhelmed. And consequently, I need to be a perpetually stable, yes. needless yes. presence. And that's not said. It's not said right. necessarily. It's see, children are extraordinarily in, intuitive and interpretive. Yeah, intuition, the mood and the t- sounds and the expressions of the parents. Without uh, like here are the seven rules, it, it's just we we make them up. Mm-hmm. We make up based upon where, how much we are connected to belonging and matter as we're created. And if I'm not belonging matter as I'm created, I better come up with somebody else. Yeah. So he practiced not needing. He started YouTubing at 14, 15, not stuff that adolescents do, but he started YouTubing 14, 15, how to fix a refrigerator, how to repair a lawnmower, mm. how to fix a squeaking door, how to change the oil. And he wasn't asking anybody outside the home. He didn't reach out to other people at his church or the grownups or the neighbors next door, except under rare circumstances. How come? Because he believed that if it got out that his father was having these problems, his father would feel ashamed because he could pick up on that his father would be confused, his father would feel embarrassed, 
and he didn't want to bring shame to his father. Mm. And he didn't want to put his mother in a situation of having to face what was going on. Mm. So he started raising himself. Mm. His sister left. She was four years older. His sister left, uh, let's see, when he was 14, she's gone. And she got out. She had kind of been parenting him when she left. Now he's officially on his own. Now, he gets older, and he doesn't know how to belong and matter in a way that's authentic, like needy. Right. And so he puts on a face that shows really minimal uh, affect. He believes that he's got to perform at a level that's beyond really re reality. He's not equipped to do it because nobody raised him, and YouTube cannot teach leadership. Right. It can teach things to, to uh, mimic. Hmm. But leadership really ultimately comes from the inside out. It's passion. So he gets misinterpreted as being arrogant, uh, aloof, um, uh, uh, rejecting, uh, entitled, believing that he's owed something or he needs to be put in positions of leadership that he hasn't earned. Um, kind of like what people hate, these uh, young uh, uh, what are it, millennialist type things. Mm. And the last thing he is is that. Mm. He's covering a scared, needy child who he is ashamed of. Mm. So, a long story for a short question. Once you become self-rejecting through the impaired affirmation and confirmation of people around you, which is still better than nothing, once you recognize self-rejection, Instead of seeing that the people who, you, who feed you are, like, not bringing the goods, you make up a story that something's wrong with you. Hmm. So he made up a story back behind the scenes. I'm not wanted. There's something wrong with me. My needs don't matter. If I'm going to matter, I've got to meet other people's needs. So he goes in the ministry. Hmm. All right? You see that this is all unfolded right. practically. Yeah. You can see how it works. And so what drives him is the thing that, believe it or not, he uses to heal him. Mm. He becomes what's called toxically ashamed of how God made him, of what he feels, what he needs, what he desires, what he longs for, and what he hopes. He believes that there's something weak, disgusting, pathetic, inadequate, or incompetent about being a feeling and therefore needing creature. Mm. So he's... Self-sufficiency, independence, being realistic, um, getting power is the only way you can be significant. Applause, like the pro athlete. Mm -hmm. And um, toxic shame says, every time I have a feeling, I'm going to potentially get rejected. Mm. So I've got to convert my feelings, hide my feelings, run from my feelings. And at the same time, toxic shame says, this is what's wrong with you. You look in the mirror and say, you're weak, you're pathetic. But it also says you need to get strong, you need to get smart, you mm -hmm. need to get tough. So there's your solution. So it condemns you, and then it hands you a twisted hope. Mm -hmm. If you do these things, you're going to be cared about. If you do enough of them, you'll be loved. So you can start climbing the ladder of seeking love, and then finally you get maybe the money. You got the money, you don't have the love, and then all of a sudden you've got cancer, and you can't say, I've got cancer because mm -hmm. you're terrified, you'll be labeled as weak, and toxic shame is driving the person mm -hmm. and owns the person, and you become enslaved to the faces of other people, the applause of other people, the 
recommendations of other people, you're a slave yeah. to hide in your heart. I mean, it's this bizarre reality, which, I mean, is even biblical. You know, it's interesting, like, as you read the Pentateuch, for example, uh, the frequency to which people replicated the things that were most painful about their own families, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is family systems to some degree. Yeah. And that, you know, these people... Generational curses. Generational right? curses, mm -hmm. right. I mean, I think, this is, I, I think this is some of the mechanics of generational curses. Belonging saying, and mattering, absolutely. Yeah, of saying... You know, I would assume, you know, whoever this guy is and pe whatever somebody's expression of this is, is, you know, you hate it and you can even develop some vocabulary to talk about it and you loathe it and you almost are trying to create this reality. I and mean, a lot of times that's where your anger comes from in leadership to say, I want to make sure that nobody ever, you know, I, you know, for example, if it's somebody in the church world, hey, I want to create a church where I want to make sure that our vision is to create a safe space that nobody ever experiences the pain that I experienced in childhood ever again. And the really bizarre thing is you tend to uh, instinctually replicate the very things 100%. you hated. And then all of a sudden you're trapped yeah. in. Michael Irving did a great interview. Uh, and he was talking about Dion Sanders. Oh, like the uh, Michael Irving, the uh, wide receiver. Yeah, for yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, see, that's. He's oh that old athlete. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Michael Irving, the very famous. <laughs> that's right. Played Back at in the like University of Miami. That's right. 90. Was a star. Yeah. Deion Sanders, I think probably most people still know about. Yeah, I mean he's more famous now yeah, than he's yeah. ever been. Michael Irving was in three Super Bowls. Uh, Troy Aikman, the mm -hmm. sports announcer, yeah. it was quarterback. Um, but he was talking to Deion. He were apparently very good friends. He said, "Isn't it amazing?" He said, "How a lot of times what you never get." you so want to give to others mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Yeah. And he said, Dion's everybody's daddy. He said, anytime Dion's around somebody, he's going to become their daddy. He's going to help them. He's going to pick them. He's going to favor them. He's going to praise them. He's going to encourage them. And Dion's literally given his life to giving something he never got. Mm -hmm. So our wounds can drive us to do great and extraordinary things. But no matter how much we give, it doesn't heal us. Mm. because the toxic shame still says I must have done something wrong mm. for me to be in this situation. And that's and, phenomenal, by the way, I, I'm not going to ask you to say it again, but I will tell whoever's listening to it. Just hit the little button that goes back 15 seconds to hear that yeah. again, because I think that nuance mm -hmm. is really careful because to your point, I mean, most great leaders, it's their healthy anger of, I saw this, I'm going to create something. Yes, I'm going to do something about I'm this. I'm going to do something about yes. this. But I think the differentiation of saying, mm -hmm. but the yes. leadership does not heal you. Yes. You know, it's like and no matter how much you're the yeah. dad for somebody else, it doesn't replace the right. fact and that you when, didn't have a dad. When I go and get this thing done, then I will finally have the right to be in need. Mm -hmm. I can finally belong in matter without working. Mm -hmm. But see, toxic shame's the setup. It assigns you the project and tells you if and when mm. someday and you pursue it because you can't help it. And then you get rewarded for it. And then the reward becomes the thing. And if you're not rewarded, you go into toxic shame. Oh, it's such a trap. It's a, it's a circle of self-destruction that makes you successful. Mm. Now hear it again. Toxic shame creates a circle of self-destruction mm. that makes us in the world's eyes successful often. So that's an, a, an illegitimate way to get legitimate needs met. And whenever our needs are met, if somebody says, hey, Brian, like when you and I check in with each other, we're, I'm really assessing 
what we talked about in a former podcast about safety and care. I'm asking, can I be myself with you? Mm-hmm. And that behind your face, that there's actually a care about me, a wanting to do this with me. Because, see, this really, really matters to me. Mm. I've been hungry and thirsty to be able to offer all that I've been given a full cup uh, after having known holes in the bottom of my bucket that yeah. could hold nothing. My son yeah. would say, no matter how much I pour in you, it mm. seems to run right through you, which we need to get to. Mm. But getting my bucket sealed, mm. being able to contain, it's just made it ferociously important that yeah. I get to communicate this. Mm. So therefore I'm vulnerable. Mm. Uh, and like, man, this matters to me and I care about it and I know what it can do for people, what it's done for me. And so when I offer this, I'm like, uh, exposed. Mm. And do you know, Brian, if somebody mocks me or you for something we're already ashamed of, you know, like I missed this shot or I, 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 I harmed someone and look at what you've done. Well, I'm like, yeah, I got it. Right. I've already rejected myself on that. So you can reject me too. And it's not going to hurt that much. But if I bring my private joys, my deepest hopes, my, my cravings of, I believe what God assigned me and you mock that you're mocking me. Hmm. You're mocking who I really am underneath the toxic shame. Yeah. Somebody who's daring to hope again. Right. So, so I think that's that moment where. So we check somebody, in, by the way, to get the need to belong and matter met in genuine ways is what I was getting to. I'm sorry. Right. We're, we're belonging and mattering with each other in genuine mm-hmm. ways. Doesn't mean that we're enmeshed. Right. Doesn't mean, you know, we, but we, you can have your opinions and feelings and needs and thoughts and I can too, but right. it's like, okay, we're good. Then let's go. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, cause I mean, so for example, it's always weird being like, here's my, one of my deepest fears, but one of my deep, <laughs> one, one, one of my deepest fears, that's just me and you in here. Right? That's right. Exactly. Uh, one of my deepest fears that overflows from practical pain and experience is I have always had a lingering fear of like, are people in relationship with me because of who I am or because of what I can do of what mm-hmm. I can achieve, what I can reduce mm-hmm. and accomplish. So for example, and this is sort of tangential to where I want us to go in terms of like healthy ways to, you know, we've talked about the unhealthy ways with the healthy ways. So a healthy kind of point of connection is to check in or even you being like, how are you? How's Megan? How's mm-hmm. your family? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not just a, uh, a resource to leverage, to generate content. Mm-mm that advances your career we are passionate and angry for the same thing but we're two people who have lives who love each other because yes we love each other not because of what we can do yes who work together because of what we can do yes affinity affinity yeah but i would i would like you even if you couldn't do for me right the same way this uh, other guy was talking about like hey he's I like that guy. Right. He comes across a certain way, but I'm, I'm thinking there's somebody else behind there. Yeah. So and like, if you just it. want to get tacos, but you can't do a podcast, let's go get tacos. Right. 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 That's yeah. if I ever take time to play. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> so by the way, did you know, uh, I hope this isn't too far off, but I, I can't wait to see somebody, where you go. Like somebody will say, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? 
And it took me a long time to tell the truth. But I say, no, I don't. Uh, now, if we want to go to lunch, definitely let's go to lunch. And we'll sit down and eat like slobs. That's great. But if you want to go to lunch with the idea that we're going to talk to each other, I mean, like take time to really talk. Right. Let's sit down somewhere else. Let's go get coffee and talk. Hmm. Because when I'm eating, I'm hanging out, I'm eating. <laughs> I'm not thinking like, yeah. you know, we're going to be really connected. Right. We're, eat, we're connected with this food and yeah. just kind of being with each other. Yeah. Like you and I, the other day, do you remember uh, I had my lunch? You had no lunch. You, you were about right. to head out, head to Nashville. I'm like, and we were with uh, Colton, like, hey, Brian, because I love this part. Because I know that if I share my lunch, it's going to double my fullness. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. And we had uh, chicken, Swiss cheese roll-ups, yeah. grapes, cucumbers, peppers. Which is really, I don't know if I told you this, but that's what I would do for lunch too, is I would not make, you had like a pile of deli meat, yeah. and a pile of cheese, and yeah. you were just kind of like making... Yeah. Yeah, breadless sandwiches. That is exactly it. Drives uh, Megan crazy, uh -huh. to be honest, because oh, I yeah. do that. She's like, "What are you doing?" And yeah. toast the bread and yeah, put you know. And I'm just no, you know, it's about uh -uh. actually one of the things when we first started working together. I never ate lunch because my schedule was so crazy. Oh, and yeah. you said to me one time, uh, it's always stuck with me. And I've used it a lot. I always attribute it to you. You said it is a dignity giving thing to stop and eat lunch. Nobility. Yeah. So because now I do if you it. stop and take a moment to let the previous four or five, six, seven hours catch up with you. If you're, if you're tuned to giving, then if you don't refuel, replenish, restore, take a moment to acknowledge who you are, how you're made and what you're doing, then you're going to, it's marginal diminishing returns. The only thing I learned in economics in which, in which I made a D minus, thank God. Well, you, you learned GDP. Which yeah, you, GDP, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. marginal diminishing returns. And when you keep doing the same thing, without stopping to assess what you're doing, you're going to have a same effort put out and less return. Mm. So the dignity of, of the nobility even of stopping and believe it or not, eating lunch is really important. Yeah. Start your day again. Now I'm getting hungry, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask this before we, before we finish is so, Oh, I what, need to tell a story too. Okay, do you want to do that first? No, no, no. But it's it's a real practical story about the generational curse. How once you become loyal, you know, do it right now because okay, I want to. Okay, so do that, and then what I want to do is so do that, and then uh, I want to uh, let's talk about positive, like what people can do. Because I'm sure if somebody's listening oh, yeah. to this, they're thinking to themselves like, "Oh gosh, okay, I know what not oh, yeah. to do. What yeah. should I do?" Yeah, um, yeah, and then mm -hmm. we'll. We'll land the plane. That's good. What's your What's your story? Because there there are five moves to make. Oh, great. When we do what you do, when you're made to do, we'll, we'll pop those out. Okay. Okay. I think. Yeah. We don't pop anything. Out. As much we're, as we're not as pop much tarts. As you move, yeah. Like, as much as you move. Even though we don't roll anything. up deli meat and cheese, yeah, like right. we're long cook. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're smokers exactly. on this. Um, the generational curse. What it, it, it's that once you become loyal to the denial of protecting the people who did not affirm you for who you were, they affirmed you for what you did, if they did that. And I've worked with many a person who waited their whole lives to receive something and still got nothing from the people they needed mm -hmm. with most. Uh, I remember a guy treated, he, he was sitting by his father's deathbed waiting to hear finally these words, Son, I love you. Or son, I'm proud of you. Just 
just a drop. And his father came to, looked at the television, said, change the channel. There's a fight on channel, whatever. And he changed the channel. He sat back down at the bedside and his father died. Wow. So he was in treatment for the second time for drug and alcohol addiction, a physician. But so you become loyal to protecting the very people who you're born to desperately need their affirmation and confirmation. Mm. And so once you develop ways to try to get that, it becomes what biblically is referred to as idolatry. Mm. So you become addicted to the pursuit, the idol, of avoiding having to face your grief, mm. having to face your loss, having to face the reality that you were raised by humans who wouldn't do human well mm. and wouldn't need God, therefore, well. So what's well, amazing, a tiny little story. This is so crazy, though. Sonia and I had been married for a very short period of time. We'd known each other for a long time. We didn't realize we were in trouble already. We were kind of both came from places where feelings were not uh, faced or processed in my family until much later on. I was gone. You know, and she said something about uh, ironing clothes, my clothes. Mm -hmm. Okay, her clothes, my clothes, because I didn't know how to iron. But she said, well, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to put the uh, clothes, our small bundle of clothes, in the freezer. I'm like, what would you put them in the freezer for? To harden them so you won't need starch, so you can unfold them when they're, you know, solid, and you put them on a ironing board and you can just iron them and they'll melt mm. and be whatever you know follow yeah. what i'm saying yep i'm like oh that's ridiculous you can't do that that's crazy i said to her my mother always used starch or always used whatever or do you follow mm -hmm. and so i said rednecks do stuff like that people who are from poor places do stuff like that that's ridiculous. That's embarrassing. And she's like, I'm, I, I, she's stunned. Mm. She's in shock. And I'm committed to running over her. I'm self-inflicted wounds on her. Mm. Self-inflicted wounds in me taken to her because I can't feel this Loyal to my family, the way we do things, the way it's supposed to be, the rules, all those. Is that just things. something you had overheard at some point? Or I watched it. it, it was, I, yeah, saw it, but it was like the tiniest of things. See, because I was protecting the dignity of whatever whatever my family was doing has to be right, otherwise we're wrong. Mm. And my whole world was about protecting the secrets of what at that time we're growing up in a. Uh, a, a world of addiction, yeah. significant addiction, depression, lots of things that uh, belonging and mattering was directly connected to performance. And so she's crying and I'm, I'm, I'm right. And I'm going to be right. And she's weeping. And I wasn't able to form a new relationship because of the old relationships I was loyal to. Mm. So that's generational curses. Mm. I'm bringing curses upon her mm. that unless you do it this way, you don't belong in matter with mm. me. And if I'm disrupted, then you've got a problem because mm. I can't tolerate my own feelings. I can't tolerate newness. I can't tolerate change. You follow? Yep. And I think a whole lot 
of the generational curses, we, we say God doing well, yes, is God handing us over to what we do mm. and what we won't face. Mm. So just that's the, think about how tiny that is, Brian, mm. and think about the pain inflicted yeah. over something so small. Cause there's nothing small. Yeah. If you, if you're running from your feelings, everything's big. Yeah, you would think that if you come from an environment where you've experienced the pain of not belonging and mattering, you would want to give that gift, but more you want Mm -hmm. to make somebody feel, because that's kind of at the root of what you're doing in that scene, right? Is you're making her feel like love is unpredictable, it's unobtainable, it's... There's, you there are rules. Guessing. There are rules that I've made that I know that you don't know. Yeah. And I'm here and, to tell. I'm here to help you. I'm here to teach you. Right. I'm going to lead you. Exactly. And mo- many, which you become your parents right. at that point. And many of us, uh, uh, because of our loyalty to the love needed from places where we didn't get it as we we're created to get it, becomes our disloyalty to the present loves wow. in our lives. Yeah. Wow. That's what there are lots of marital conflict that's over unfinished business mm. can't give what you don't have so i had to get it mm. to be able to get it mm. which requires a defeat mm. a sweet defeat yeah of the self-protected devices are no longer self-protected they become self-destructive you're telling the truth about where you really came from as opposed to absolutely creating yeah fantasies that make the pain yes. more tolerable yes and it doesn't mean throwing out the good things. Right. But it means not using the good things to run from the things that weren't so good. Right. Yeah. And so the healthy, uh, yes, belonging. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so we talked about the unhealthy. So what if somebody's saying, okay, well I do want to cultivate an environment in my home or family that, mm-hmm. um, you know, is conducive to somebody belonging and mattering mm-hmm. and feeling like their needs are tolerable. Okay. So what do they do? So, and you, you, by the way, uh, you use such a beautiful word. If I want to cultivate, because, which means create a culture that belonging and mattering literally cultivates, which means grows out of the ground that which the seeds that were planted are made to become versus cult. Hmm. So from the word culture, we get cult or we get cultivate. And you use that word so beautifully. It's like, if I want to cultivate, and there's the beginning of the answer. Hmm. If I desire something different than what I've come from. It doesn't mean that I recreate, doesn't mean that I create a whole new place. It means I face fully where I came from so that I can create a new place. Right. Yep. It's not running from something. Right. It's fully facing the destruction. So, but the, the solution is tragically simple, hard to do because we become hardened in heart okay mm. tragically simple but hard to do because we become hardened in heart which paul talks about where most of our problems come from mm. in ephesians 4 17 through 19 mm. he says we've lost our senses mm. and he's ref- references above because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardness of our hearts mm. and so it comes down to number one find of course find face Feelings. Feelings will take us to being in need. Be able to tell the truth about my internal feelings and needs, never as weapons of blame, but as ownership of responsibility. So find my feelings, face my feelings, feel my feelings, tell the truth about my feelings, 
and then give them to God. Or another way of saying the same thing is give them to the process of how life actually works so we can live fully. God owns the process. Mm -hmm. And we just entered the process, the genuine process, by finding, facing, feeling our feelings, let them, let's, let them, them take us to needs, and telling the truth. Then, two more things. Dare to stay angry. Angry means staying in the desire of what you really want and be willing to be in the pain that it's going to cost to get there. So stay angry and then be willing to seek forgiveness. Mm. So, I mean, if, 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 if forgiveness seeking were a paramount of a paramount cultivated in a paramount way, there would be a revival in this nation that couldn't be stopped. And it would be a parent revival, mm. parents pursuing their children to be disloyal to where they came from and loyal to who they were assigned yes. in life. Isn't that mm. amazing? Mm. So find, face, feel, which connects to needs, tell the truth, give it to the process, give it to God, stay angry, that you need to look at the voice of the heart, yep. and then seek that'll be forgiveness. Next episode. We're talking about feelings in the next episode. Okay, great. So, yeah, then, that'll then, make more sense if you go to the next seek episode. Seek forgiveness, and that yeah. requires humility, <clears throat> ownership look seeing the person in the mirror before you see the purpose and you think is a problem mm. don't let somebody else but stand between you and the mirror yeah so even like you know i'm trying to contextualize this as a parent of young kids who are constantly bringing needs problems to me <laughs> and i mean you talked about this some in the last episode of a child has an emotion or a need and a parent, a lot of times, especially if a parent cares, right? Mm -hmm. They a lot of times go to that toxic shame place of this is somehow an indictment on my parenting and this is me. Absolutely. And so what you're encouraging me to do is basically like, I need to tolerate one, this is just the way that my, I mean, not just tolerate, mm -hmm. but to celebrate, this is the way that my kids mm -hmm. are made. I'm teaching them in that, hey, yeah. it's good for you to express. It doesn't mean everything you're saying is right. It doesn't mean everything is fair. It's not no. like, we're not going to say no. yes, or, but I can't sit in it and I can listen to it uh -huh. and I can try to. And face the limits too. When you can't go any farther, you better take ownership of it and do some separating. Right. That's why it's so beautiful to have two parents and to have a society you're connected to because like, I can't, I can't hear these tears anymore. I, 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 just, I just don't have what it takes, but I love you. I'll be back. You maybe sit on the sofa and cry as long as you need to. I'll be back in like five minutes. Right. Then you got to come back, you know? So, yeah. But you know, you're, de you're describing patience, hmm. you know, like patient in the patience in the process yeah. of life and your children to be normal, but your children will awaken something in us as parents. And they say, they're saying, they're, they're saying, you better go to the mirror and look at your powerlessness mm. You don't have control of me. Mm. You have feelings too. You've got to deal with yours. If you don't deal with yours, you certainly are not mm. going to be able to help me with mine. Mm. And children strip us of perfection. Mm. They strip us of egotism where we have to ease God out. Mm. They take away our um, ability to control life. They put us at risk because anything can happen to them. If they're not under our wings, uh, they won't grow if they're not under our wings, then we're, we're often fearful. But if we don't let them come out from under our wings, they never develop their own. So, I mean, it's like, uh, 
Right. And patience means willing to carry the burden of hope. Mm. And that means also you better get some passion. Right. You better be willing to be in pain for something that matters more than pain, which means the long range focus on raising the child to have a life like patience and passion. Right. And I think what's helpful in what you're saying is what you're not suggesting is that this is some equation to be solved, right? It is a perpetual tension yeah. in place of struggle yeah. that you enter into for the rest of your life. Right. The alternative is what a lot of times we do, which is telling a kid that their neediness and their desire to belong and matter is intolerable. Yes. Right. And we just shut it down. Absolutely. We say, Hey, we don't, we basically, we don't don't do that around. We don't do that around here. We don't do that around here. We're strong. We don't have problems. We don't, you know, get that out of here. You know, like one of the, one of the the things to seek forgiveness for in my world, you know, which is it. And, and I mean, when you, you know, I burdened by the recognition of this and then dealt with the recognition of this, I would say to both my sons, Hey, finish the job. You got the job, finish the job. You're assigned the task, finish the task. This is like taking out the trash or I mean, whatever. It, it bigger than that, you know, like moving boards or all yeah. those sorts of things. And then just responsibilities. Around what, the house. What, what, it sounds like it, doesn't it? And it's good. What I was saying was true, but I didn't give them the rest of the story. Like, uh, sometimes it's going to be painful and guess what? Sometimes you can't. And guess what? Sometimes you need to stop. And guess what? Sometimes you, you need to turn away from the task mm-hmm. because it's not the task that you can do. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I was accidentally and at the same time, intentionally to avoid, uh, the pain of me having failed them, not finishing the job. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that was my big thing. Whatever it takes, Chip, you finish the job. Even if you put your life at risk, that's insanity. Hmm. I remember in a construction site being crazy, standing on a five-gallon bucket on a board that was on other two five-gallon buckets, three stories up, nailing a, a piece of side sideboard onto the top gable while it was bouncing back and forth on my hammer. I'm like, and I had to do it because what they would think I had to finish the job. It's crazy. Yeah. Or you couldn't say, Hey, this isn't safe. I don't like, I'm not doing it. Right. Like I'm not doing it. So I finished the job requires also staying fully in relationship to tell the whole story. Mm. Sometimes you need to quit. Mm. You need to quit. Yeah. And turn around. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Let's in. Okay. Let's in there. I mean, we've, by the way, last thing. Okay. I know last thing in the last thing you don't apologize. I know that a lot of people, when they listen to these podcasts, they may find themselves um, irritated, even threatened. Yeah, to find themselves irritated or even threatened. But I want want people to know, I know you want a list, but I did give you a list of five things, six things, if you know, find your feelings. But see, we want a list so we can go do the thing and then we can check off no longer having to find, face, feel, need, stay angry, and seek forgiveness. We use lists to escape learning and living yeah. a lot of times. So I won't be able to give you enough lists for you to be able to stay away from life. Yeah, and health, I've learned from you, is just willingness to live in the river, engage in the struggle, Amen. live life on life's terms. Amen.
Alright, which makes us move each other. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. Give up, give up, give up your night.